You guys got any plans for Easter? Oh. Yes. You know, Easter this year is also April Fool's Day. I know. Yeah. I'm so excited. And I do have Easter plans. Tell me about your Easter plans. I'm going to be running Roll for Shoes on uh, Saving Throw for, for Easter. That's news to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's going to be an April Fool's Day game of Roll for Shoes. Or an Easter game of Roll for Shoes. Or maybe both. I don't know. Or maybe neither. Or neither. You haven't planned it yet. It might be volcano focused. Who knows? I don't plan Roll for Shoes. <laughs> I only have half a cast right now, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Oh my. So those are my plans. I don't have to teach yoga that day. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Because people are at do. church looking I, for eggs. I don't know, because the Y yeah. is closed. Yeah, and they're looking for eggs. That's the day but if you, if you, that Jesus hides all the eggs in the church. <laughs> yeah. If you did have to teach yoga, would you have done a thing where you were doing like a yoga pose and then an egg fell out of you? <laughs> and you were like, oops. Whoopsie. And then just keep that just keeps happening oh. during the entire yoga session. And that see, would be bizarre and disturbing. But it's April Fool's Day also. Oh my God. So no. It combines so well. Generally speaking, I uh, keep my yoga classes with a more um, serious tone. I, but I it's April Fool's stay Day. Stay away from the comedy. Yeah. I, I think some of them might think it was funny. And then some of them will be like, mm. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> Also, posh. if the egg like just cracked and just splattered all over the floor, mm-hmm. like that would be awkward. I expect that kind of humor at Denny's, but not here. <laughs> How about you, Grav? You got any Easter plans? No, I got nothing. Okay. Well, that sounds like a fun day. Yeah. That's uh, kind of a weird way to end up this uh, talk about what everyone's plans are. That's why I was so excited about asking you guys. I figured you guys <laughs> I'm going to live vicariously through you guys. Yeah, through your Easter plans. You know, I really did, as I got older, and we didn't have any young kids, because I'm the baby of my family, the young kids in the family anymore, I got real disappointed that nobody hid Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. because I particularly liked Easter, but just because I liked the like treasure hunt. It's the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. in fact, uh, in college, I made my family hide Easter eggs for me and Jordan and my cousin. Aww. Yeah, yeah, I was there for that. You That's were there. cute. Everyone else just sort of made fun of us, but mm-hmm. I was excited, so screw them! Yeah. We used plastic bags uh, that we found as our Easter baskets. Huh. Oh, yeah. We did? Yeah, it was it was pretty low rent. <laughs> but you, at least you got to do it. I, I feel really bad for kids who didn't get to find those eggs that Jesus hid for him. You and know? when you say kids, you mean like 20-year-olds? 20, 20 sure. That, uh, yeah. As long as you've done it once, you've gotten uh-huh. Jesus' eggs, you get to go to heaven. Oh, right. that is how it works. Those I think the rules. We were, I think we were juniors in college. It's not important. Why don't we jump into the podcast? <laughs> we don't have to. We don't have to get into the details. Uh, hey guys, how's it going? We are uh, gonna do an episode of Experience Pointers. That's right, Experience Pointers, where we, a group of gamers, players, and GMs, all sit around and talk about things that are are pertinent to players and GMs of role playing games, and maybe offer up some suggestions for things that you can incorporate into your own game at home. My name is Jordan. I'm Megan. I'm Garab. And together, we are... Experience Pointers! <laughs> That's new. Yeah, yeah it works great. out really well. Yeah, let's do it every time. Um, and before we launch into today's episode, uh, we, we are continuing to be sponsored what? by the same sponsor <gasps> two in a row? last time. I know. What? I landed us two in a row, you guys. <laughs> My goodness. I know. Let's see if the streak continues. This episode of Experience Pointers is also brought to you by a Benjamin Danish. Oh, yeah. And we even have a, a Benjamin Danish pun of the show. Oh, my. Okay. Let's hear it. Let's yeah. hear it. All right. So from, from our sponsor, Benjamin Danish... What do you call it when you grow udders because you were exposed to radiation? 
a mutation. Uh, oh my. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, a radiated cow. I like it. Don't drink that milk. So that was that was your Benjamin Danish pun of the show. <laughs> Thanks, Benjamin Danish. Thank you. Appreciate it. Now we should launch into what we're actually doing for this episode. Okay. Uh, Megan, would you like to introduce us? <laughs> sure. So uh, by this point, many of you, if you watch any of our stuff over at Saving Throw, know that I have GM'd finally a show on Saving Throw live on stream. Uh, my first episode was actually when we were recording this was last night. So for some of you, you may be listening to this after the second episode. Who knows? Maybe, you know, years from now. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, I, I did my first. Time is weird. <laughs> I did my first, um, my first episode last night. And so we're just kind of, kind of talk about how that went, especially since when I jammed magic and mischief for my very first time and we recorded it and then the file was completely corrupted. You guys didn't get to actually hear the episode. So, uh, now we're basically doing that. So you can watch, uh, my, my first time or my second time GMing and you can also hear what, uh, what I thought about it, what we thought about it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, um, <clears throat> that for your second time GMing ever, you chose to do it live on the internet in front of strangers, which is uh, a, insane. A pretty gutsy move there. Yeah, you chose hard mode. Yeah, that yes. was uh, not only did you uh, choose to do that, you also chose hard mode with the game you're running, which I'm sure you're going to get into here in a second. But uh, I... I just want to give you a little bit of kudos for that, because <laughs> I would not have run D and D for uh, a people, a group of people on the internet, strangers, for my second time running a game ever. Yeah, so. sure. I'm insecure. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sure. 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 Well, I appreciate it. Uh, <clears throat> I'm just a crazy person, I think. But um, but yeah, it's so so the game. If you uh, didn't have the opportunity to watch it, uh, is called Mysterium at Bainbridge Estate. And With a lovely intro edited by our, our very own Garakula. Aw, yes. you guys are sweet. Yes, it's awesome. It's been uh, great material to put out on the interwebs for promo. I mean, that's really why all the people watched. was because of your intro. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's based upon the board game Mysterium. Uh, which I really is one of my favorite board games. It's a great board game. Yeah, it's really great. It's uh, if you don't know the board game, it basically it's set in uh, 1922 in a house in Scotland, and uh, this person who lives at the house, there's someone who had been murdered 30 years previously, and they feel like uh, that person is haunting the house because nobody knows who killed them, and so uh, they call in these psychics to try and discover who the murderer is, sort of a la clue. It's very similar. You're looking for a weapon, a person, and a place or, or a room. Um, but the way it works is you've got your psychics and then you have one person who plays as the ghost and you have these cards called vision cards, which are these the coolest thing. I think it's super awesome, but they're just different cards full of all kinds of crazy art. It's kind of um, modern art almost, like it doesn't necessarily make sense. So what's very dreamlike and abstract, <clears throat> yeah. Yes, so as the ghost, you're basically choosing uh, you, you get to pull like seven cards a turn and you have to give each psychic a number of cards to try and get them to guess what their particular uh, uh, killer is and so on. I mean, I won't get too much into the actual gameplay of that, but that that's the general premise of it. So I 
I was inspired by that. So of course my story is a little different, but uh, it's the same basic idea. I said it in England because I didn't have time to practice my Scottish accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not an easy <clears throat> accent to do Scottish. No, no, no. I, I'm, I, I, bet I, I imagine I could do it, but I think I would need more time than, you know, GMing on stream uh, was going to give me. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I said it in Northern England and uh sort of in a similar way four psychics are being called in there's there's a horrible murder that had happened at this estate uh 30 years prior uh and so i i decided this was actually something that i found uh kind of frustrating for me i've never been very good at reading rules in general i just don't i, I can't take information in that way uh, and I so, am the rules reader in yes. the relationship. Whenever we, oh. we get a new game or something, it is my responsibility to read the rules and then relay those rules through gameplay. <laughs> mm -hmm. I am a kinesthetic learner, and I, I try to look mm. at rules, and I'm just like, well, I, I lose track of what I just read. It just doesn't. <laughs> it would take me a very long time. So uh, I initially was going to do uh, which, I forget, which fates something. Fated Souls. Fated Souls, that's mm. it. Uh, which is a, a newish RPG, I think, which seems super cool. Um, but, you know, it's a book. And I just could not, I could it not figure it out. It is a full-on book. Yeah. It's a full-on book. I couldn't figure it out. So I decided to go for a simpler system. So I went with Rises, um, which uh, Rises, apparently, I learned recently, that is Latin for laughter. This system is, huh. yeah, is a um, very rules-light system. It's been around since, like the 80s or something yeah, or, or it's, it's, the, really? it's been around for a yes. surprisingly oh, long time yeah, i thought it was new no, no it's been around for a long time and it, it was around before that in a different it was different it had a different name and then they oh. adapted it to rises too but rises they adapted it to rises in like the 80s or 90s or something i gotcha um and of course it has there are like websites about it and all, people have taken it and done a million different things with it now um so it, it is a, a free rpg that you can find online by s john ross uh, and it has four pages of rules. We'll post a link to uh, the game in our show notes. You can download it for yes. free on DriveThruRPG, so we'll post a link Yes, and if you're a Patreon backer uh, over at Saving Throw Show, it is also in the Patreon uh, currently. Um, so this system is very simple. It's basically, uh, the basic mechanic is every character has cliches, and the cliches have a number next to them. Uh, and the number is the amount of die, the amount of d6s that that person would roll when they're utilizing that cliche. And then they're just trying to hit a target number. Uh, <clears throat> that, that, that's it's, it. it's actually very similar to like the end of a game of Roll for Shoes. Yes. After everyone's mm. characters are built, it kind of, the characters look like that from the get-go. Oh, of. okay. And the cliches can be anything. Like, for example, in, for my cast, they're all psychics. Uh, and I had them make their, basically their main cliche be their psychic ability. So, uh, like, uh, Jordan Pridgen is a pendulum diviner. And so he has a four in pendulum di divination, which at the beginning of uh, any, like, a new character in Rises 4 is as high as you can go. Oh, okay. Um, and you have 10, 10 die to, to put in any amount of cliches you want. Is, okay. is basically... So, yeah, you could do idea. like 10 level 1 cliches or, you know, just mix mm -hmm. it up however you want. And so, and cliches, yeah, another cliche he has is historian and he also has hunter uh, and he has high society. That's his cliches. But then I have another, uh, Michaela has a cliche of snoop and herbalism. Like, and these things are fairly, more, uh, for the most part, they're more concrete, but I've seen cliches that are... Rises lends itself to a more com comedic game. So I've seen cliches that are just like ridiculous things like, um, I, I can't Clown remember. butler. Yeah, things like, like that. Stuff like that. 
Yeah, they could. They could just be... off the top of my head. That's that's always where my brain goes. Clown butler. Yep. I mean, I don't want one so bad. It's a creepy. Why do you want a clown butler? I'll think about it. No, I don't want to think about it. It's okay. creepy. All right, fair point. Um. So what I did here was uh create a story and then try and input the system with the story, which. I, so whenever I ran the game before with Magic and Mischief, there wasn't really that that system. You're just rolling, and you need to hit like a particular thing on the die. I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but you're not really. You want to like, roll under your number for some things or right. over your number for other things. There is the occasional pose roll, but not really. Right. So what was interesting here that I started to run into was was not understanding target number. Not knowing how to figure out, like, if I'm giving them a target number and trying to go, okay, what do they need to hit? That That is something I ran into. And and also in building, like, in this instance, I actually needed to build NPCs that had a stat of some kind that had cliches. Sure, right. Which, you know, it's still, I mean, your entire character sheet is your name, uh, your uh, the description. Uh, you could potentially have a hook, which is like a Savage World's hindrance. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you get an extra die of character creation. Uh and you have your cliches. And there are a few other extra things you can have as well. Uh, tale is one, which is just like the story, your backstory. And that also gives you another extra die at character creation. Um, but I I had to go, okay, well then if... Actually, let me explain this first. In Rises, whenever there's a combat system, and that is an opposed role system, basically. So uh, say, we'd say uh, Philip, who is, has Magician 3, uh, is trying to cast, uh, do a magician's trick for Heather's character who um, has Flapper 4, whatever. She's using Flapper here in this instance. So what they would do is... Uh, she's would, seen it all before. She's, seen it she's all a Flapper. Oh, that's so um, Philip would roll, or the Great Vano, as his character is, would roll his three die, and uh, Heather would roll her four, and whoever got the highest would win. Whoever got the lowest would lose a die in that stat. So that's how damage is taken here. Oh, okay. And so that's like one round of combat. And you keep going until someone has one of their cliches reduced to nothing. To nothing. And Mm. then they're out. And that can mean any number of things. So your combat could be literal, like I'm inviting you to the sword. It could be social combat. It could be really anything that you deem uh, to be good in this instance where you're essentially wearing someone down. Okay. Um, So that's the basic system. Uh, but what I'm trying to say about that, that means that my NPCs have to have stats of some kind. Because if they're potentially going to try to wear them down, they have to have something to wear down. Which, it was just, I mean, granted, again, I'm only giving them cliches and I added secrets for them. But I still found that difficult because I was like, well, what, you know, what cliche will they have? Like, how how can I prepare for this? So I definitely ran into a lot of things just in my preparation of, of like, well, how do I, how, how do I plan for where they're going to go and when and what I need to have and when? I mean, some of that seems kind of obvious because I know I'm sort of leading them to various different places via NPCs and things like that. But coming from an actor background, part of me was like, well, I need to rehearse this. But I can't rehearse it. Yeah, I can't really do that. <clears throat> no. So I, I have a question um, before you get into like talking about how the game actually played. Uh-huh. Um, so you adapted a board game mm-hmm. into an RPG. So how did that work as far as like what elements of the game did you use in your RPG? Or like how did you translate those things? 
mostly Mysterium specifically has a lot of cool cards. Uh, much, Super cool art. Yeah, yeah, really cool art. Much like Clue, it's got uh, your your um, people who could your your potential murderers. It's got your potential locations, which are like it's artwork of rooms in the house, and then potential weapons or potential uh, items. So I picked my uh, I've got four staff member at this house staff members at this house and I found uh cards basically of those people so that I could go here here they are and that's from Mr. Mysterium you're talking to this guy <clears throat> yeah the game itself actually has uh what looks like a GM screen that the ghost uses oh yeah you use that in your game that was that's mm-hmm. pretty clever yeah, yeah I use that uh and uh I used the uh location cards as a, a sort of map Mm-hmm. So there's not really necessarily any need in this game, at least in the way that I'm running it, to need to put miniatures down on a board. Um, but I did, there are little crystal balls that are different colors for your figure in the game. So I brought those just in case, and then I did lay out all of my location cards as a sort of map. And whenever they would go to room, I'd go, here's what your room looks like. Um, and then I uh, I also, one one of my, the great Vano, one of my players, Philip. Uh, is a crystal ball diviner. And so I utilized, whenever he uses a crystal ball, I'm using the vision cards to say, well, this is this is uh, what you see. Okay. And he describes that to the other players. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So that's the basic, that's the, the, those are the basics I think that I used other than just the feel of the game and the setting and things like that. Cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, Rises itself, as I was saying, is so simple. I mean, I didn't necessarily pull any characters out of mysterium because mm-hmm. the, the really the only characters i mean i guess there's the the family who calls in the psychics and there are actual psychics but sure so uh rises sounds super interesting how did it actually play for you um so i have a love-hate relationship with uh rules light systems i just for me personally as a gm or as someone who's trying to learn it mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like that's my only option unless i have a lot of time or unless i'm able to play in it not as a gm long enough to learn it and then go back and learn the aspects of what it would take to gm it um but i find that the lack of uh rules the lack of limitation is limiting within itself Hmm. um it's it's a bit especially for me being a new gm i'm and, and i've talked about this a few times but i'm in this place in which I'm used to as a player saying, well, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing and waiting for the jam to say, oh, well, you need to roll for that. So for me to have to remember like, oh, I need to make them roll for that is difficult. And it's also difficult doubly, like I was saying, is because I don't feel like I have a good sense of what a good target number is. Right. And then um, uh, also, I, I don't know. I, I, I say that I don't know that that's really a Rises issue as much as it's just me not having a good feel for target number. That could be true well, anywhere. So the Rises concept for target numbers is a little bit tricky, actually, especially for rules light system, because they have target numbers and they give you an example of like, you know, target number five is, is pretty easy. And it's, it's you know, someone like this could do it. Uh, and it gives you like five through 30 basically as example target numbers. But then it's subjective based on which character is making the role. So they give you the example, like, if you have someone with a cliche, like, jungle explorer, it's only uh, a target number of five for them to swing across a canyon on a vine, because that's, like, part of their deal. But if you have wheelchair-bound geologist, 
then that's a 30 for them to swing across on on a vine. Or it was like, uh, it was a 20 for them to swing across on a vine, and they had to roll a 30 to keep their wheelchair with them when they got to the other side. (laughs) Which, those are incredibly specific. Like, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, a psychic. Sure, a crystal ball diviner is very specific, but in my mind, well, one of my characters is an empath. So she has a lot more opportunity to kind of be like, oh, I feel this room, I touch this thing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I find it difficult to want to give them, I mean, Jordan and I talked about it. We were like, okay, the base, the base target should be five, which I actually think we miscommunicated on a little bit, but, but she has four die in that. I mean, to get a five, it's yeah. pretty easy, which she should. Most of the time she is a world renowned empath. She should be able to do what she does best. Yeah. Well, because, yeah, what I meant when I was talking about that, and yeah, there was definitely miscommunication there, was five is always, if there is a chance of failure at all, you're, at, at the very least, your target number is five. Mm-hmm. If there's nothing standing in their way, if there's nothing making it more difficult or anything like that. And then for, like, any complication or anything that's that's happening, you would raise the target number up from there. Right, but even that for me is just like, okay, that's like, you might as well be telling me this is how this foreign language works. Yeah. Like, I just don't, I am such a, a, a kinesthetic intuitive person. I need to be able to feel it and I haven't done it. I mean, literally, I think it would just be about uh, running the game multiple times sure. before I can actually really feel what a good challenge is. I mean, but that's just GMing in general, sure. really. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to read it on paper and, like, think about it, and another thing entirely to run it and and see how it works in action and be like, right. oh, this works better like that. So, yeah, I mean, kind of like Garav had already asked you this, what were the challenges that came up when you were running it? Um, I mean, the, so, I mean, first of all, I was just super nervous. <laughs> I was just nervous. I just, I, because... I approach everything very theatrically. I want to tell a good story. I want to set the right tone. I want to uh, make people scared, sad, happy. Uh, I want them to laugh, whatever. I want to do all these things. And I, I have such a, I have a, I have a good sense of timing with that kind of stuff. But, but, but having a good sense of timing means you got to hit that timing. Right. And I was ambitious. I wanted to layer audio and do this and do that. And you know, yeah, you I'm had like four audio players open I, on your computer I at did. once. Whoa. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fine at first. And then when I tried to like do a, a seance and add this audio and that and this, blah, blah, that that's when it kind of broke down. Yeah. I knew it might happen. I still had to try it. Um, anyway, uh, so, so yeah, I was definitely nervous. The the biggest thing that happened, and I don't know if this is an experience, this is, this is really, it's not necessarily just a stream thing, but when we're streaming these games, we're sort of in a time limit. Sure. That may be true for you and your game. You may be like, I got four hours and everybody's got to go home because I got work tomorrow, whatever. So playing wild cards and iron keep, we often go over our time limit. Often. And, and I... I don't know. Living, yeah, often is not necessarily fair to say. <laughs> I don't... Living with... Sometimes. Uh, my GM, Jordan here, I know how he's gone like, oh, oh my God, I have planned way too much. And he's slowly like cut down for wild cards more and more. He's like, you guys talk a lot. So I got it. I got to plan less. You bad mouthing so, us at home? Oh, nah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Nah. Oh, man, it's bad. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so, so for me, I'm like, well, not only... Do I also have one of our cast from Wild Cards and in my cast, Jordan Pridgen, and he's a talker. So I was like, well, he'll talk. And one of my other cast members, uh, Philip, I uh, haven't played with but one time before, but I I work with him. Uh, And I was pretty sure those two would get along, which they did. And I was pretty sure they would talk a lot. And then I've got Heather Wood, who who I figured would jump on that. And and Michaela probably would, too. So really, I had a cast of, of people that I thought would talk. And it's not that they didn't. 
They did. But I was like, okay, I planned this, this, and at this point you've seen the episode. So I planned out their entrance. I planned out uh, them going into their uh, rooms and just sort of uh, getting to know the house. There was the potential that there might be a haunt. There was potential there might not be. So they did that. And then there was a seance. And that was how I set it up. And I was like, that should be plenty of time for three hours. Mm. It is like, uh, so we started at eight. And by nine o'clock, I'm halfway through them, uh, through their like haunts mm-hmm. and everything. And I'm like, after this, it's the seance. And the seance isn't going to be long. So holy crap. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like kind of half, kind of half panicking uh, because so when we're on stream too, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to intro. And when I was talking to Jordan about it beforehand, another, I think, miscommunication, I was like, okay, so I should talk about Mysterium and I should talk about Rises, right? And he was like, well, you probably don't want to go into it too much. Like, you want to get into the game. And I was like, okay, great. And I'm still thinking it'll take 30 minutes to get through all that. Right. It took eight. Well, yeah, because you were like, I want to talk about Rises. I want to talk about Mysterium, what it's based on. I want to let them know. I want to introduce the characters. I want to let them know what all the background information is that everyone would know. And I was like, all right, I mean, that's like 20 minutes right there. Like, that's a lot of time. And yeah, you you just like, you leaped from like, you were like, so Rises, basically this, cool. Mysterium the board game, you've heard of it. Um, this right. is everybody, and here we go. And <laughs> it took you eight minutes to, damn, <laughs> to jump into that's it. That's a new record. It is. But I, it's but a speed run. I, I thought you were like, oh, that, that stuff will be boring. Don't talk about that too much. And I was like, I don't want to bore anybody. I was so afraid of being boring. For people that live together, you guys sure do miscommunicate a lot. You know what? We don't know. But when it comes to this, we super miscommunicated. <laughs> Seriously. It, I don't know what... It, this this particular instance was really weird because we are actually... And that or we've been miscommunicating forever and we just somehow <laughs> yeah, get by. Just haven't really wound up in a situation where it became practically apparent that we were miscommunicating. But we miscommunicated horribly in, in the prep for this game. Horribly. Yeah, you burned through all of your material um, really quickly and I was getting really anxious watching because I was like oh no what is she gonna do like she's yeah. she's already off of like her charter her charted path right so you I felt pretty masterfully um bloated the first session a bit you had some you had some more stuff that you that you filled in you sort of started laying the seeds for things you were going to talk about in your right. second session but that's frustrating to me it was very frustrating because and and this I think is an instance of being used to being a player Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden being in the GM chair and knowing everything. Sure. And when you know everything, it all feels real loosey-goosey yeah. and kind of like, oh, I made all this crap up. And, you know, it's, and it's is like, it, I keep spinning everywhere. Is it, is it any good? It's like knowing how a magic trick is done. It's yeah. really like yeah. be, being on the other side of the GM screen is like, you, no one, you don't get any of the wonder and of discovery and stuff like that. You're like, yeah, I knew that was there. I knew it was there well, the whole time. And it feels less impressive. It, at uh-huh. least for me, on, on my, you know, on on that side of things, it feels I'm. It's so easy to sit there and go like, oh my god, this is so stupid. They probably think this is stupid. This isn't cool, right? Well, don't think rec- that. Yeah, might I recommend well, some that's... narcissism? That makes it feel much more impressive from <laughs> that, your side of the screen. That's my anxiety perfection brain. So you know that that I that is an issue that I have personally. But um, but yeah, it's that's what I remember because we have this little Kindle communication device for for when we stream, uh, just so we can with the tech behind the scenes. And I'm like, at one point I was like, am I boring? Don't so what? So no, do not send that message to Dom. No, it was to me. I was, to oh, I was okay. running things behind the scenes. I wouldn't the, send it to Dom. Scenes. 
No, no, not dumb. Did you send back oh. all Z's? Just Z, 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 No, I just mimed me hanging myself. No, oh, no I didn't do that. I didn't do that because she but, wasn't boring. It but, wasn't boring. Yeah, we were both. I was watching at home and I didn't think it was boring. But this was when, so so from my perspective, like I, I consciously know, especially for me personally, that my perception of things is not the perception necessarily that, that people outside myself are seeing. I know that. I know that I'm always going to be harder on myself. So I consciously can be like, this is probably fine. But um, but because I ran through the material I planned and kind of had to jump ahead a little bit and then also add extra things, I was like, my structure and tone went out the window, which made me feel like crap. Well, let me talk about that real quickly too, because not only was this your second time ever GMing and you were doing it on a live stream where you were getting communication from like production off, sure. off stream about things that were happening. You also chose to run a mystery, which <laughs> yeah. is a super difficult thing to do as That's a GM and do hard. well. Yeah. You also chose to run a horror-toned game, which is another very difficult thing for GMs to do, and even experienced GMs to maintain that level of tone. Um, you used audio elements, complicated audio elements, uh, <laughs> in, in your game. An orchestra was there, guys. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, and you were using a system that you were unfamiliar with. So you threw yourself several curveballs in getting ready I for know. this game. Nightmare mode. Jeez. But... You did it. Yeah. You made it through your yeah. first session. You did it. And I, I really do feel like it went well. I'm definitely, I was definitely like, ah, uh, I, cause I had some, some tone and some, some moment things that I really wanted to hit. I hit a few of them and some of them kind of went, and kind of went up always and happens. Totally. And I totally get that. But that, there's still a, you know, you build, I spent a lot of time building up to this and I was like, I'm going to, and this first episode especially, I was like, it's going to be great. I had the structure in my head and then a few things got away from me. Now, one of the biggest things though, uh, along those lines that I, really struggled with. So at the beginning, and, and I've sort of talked about this since, uh, I, I, I didn't challenge them enough because coming back to the target numbers, I don't know what to set. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, it's five. And they're rolling like three die. And another thing that I haven't mentioned, I added async to these die. Because- Oh, I did see that. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. So she, you, you added async for combat. Any die roll. Right. No, I oh, know, but you yes. added it primarily because yes. Rises has a documented problem with death spirals in combat. Because once you start losing dice, it becomes way easier for you to keep losing more dice. Yes, and, sure. And Jordan and I spent some time, uh, we're just running through little scenarios with and without acing. And I personally, having played so much Savage Worlds, I really like acing. I like the the thought that I can have a D4 or a D6 and I need to hit some ridiculously high number and that the potential exists. That is exciting to me as a player. Mm -hmm. Now, statistically, I don't know, but but this was something, Rises has a whole online world of people who've completely changed and adapted the system for different kinds of play. So that was, acing was something that has been done before. It's not necessarily new that I came up with out of nowhere for this system. Um, but it does change it affects the target number a little bit. Yeah, you definitely, like, I I noticed watching that um, you were very permissive with your players. They were like, I'm going to do this thing. And you were like, sure, you do it. Like, you things right. where I was like, ooh, if I was in the GM chair, I would have made <laughs> right. them roll for that. But there were a couple of times where because you did that, you opened up some really fun character interaction and you allowed some uh, some moments to happen on on. on in the game that if they had rolled for and failed at it wouldn't have existed sure. so i mean you know there's there's good and bad to, well, to both sides of that yes that's true to me though 
that 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 sort of t- touches on the discussion between running, wanting to run something very narrative, and keep the story going and have control of the narrative, uh, and and having it be a game. I mean, you, you're you're kind of mixing the two, especially when we're on stream. It is. I mean, it does change it in some ways because there is an audience. Sure. Uh, but it yeah. is still, I much like Jordan mentions, I would approach it theatrically whether or not it was on stream. That's Can just, confirm. Yes, that's just something that I would do. Um, so I think I didn't, I, I, first of all, I was so worried about running out of time, which of course was the opposite. I had way too much time. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like I rushed them through things. I feel like I didn't always, because I'm not used to thinking of like, oh, that needs a role. I just, there were a lot of things I decided to do and we played out in a role-playing scenario as opposed to me going, oh, well, you should roll for that. Now, having said that, as we continued on into the, the game, uh, I feel like I got better at it. I got better at recognizing when they needed to roll and making it a role and and working with that. Um, so I'm hoping that for the next episode, I will be able to be more conscious of that. And this first episode in, in, in the way that I've organized it, because it is three parts and I am basing it sort of on that uh, my, my tone that I was going for is kind of like the movie The Haunting. So it's it's not, it's it's uh, creepy and serious, but it also has some lighter elements to it. Uh, but it's also based on sort of those old, you know, traditional haunted house horror movies. Um, so you have the beginning of your horror movie in which you're like, is something happening? I don't know. I think probably not. And that's essentially what this first episode was. So that was also maybe something that was diffi- that, that was a difficulty I gave to myself because uh, it kind of made, there was less, there were less things for them to roll for in a lot of ways. Now I intend my second episode to be uh, very investigation focused. Uh, and they got into some of that investigation this past episode because we needed to have things happening. Yeah, right. Uh, so there a little of that happened, but, but anyway, and I did actually rewatch Jordan and I sat down and rewatched the majority of the episode today just to kind of go through and see what I could have done better. And, mm-hmm. and, and it, it is interesting too, when you're dealing with different player types at your table, um, you got to interact with them differently mm-hmm. and interacting. That was something too. It was like, Oh, for this person, I should have, I should have, uh, said this in this way and for that person i should have given them more space or different things like that it's you know and of course that's going to happen but so if you had to distill down to like three focus points that Mm -hmm. you're going to have for your next episode like having gone through the first episode and and experienced everything you did and you know survived it what like three things would you say you're going to move forward with for the next episode and focus on uh like are you asking story-wise or like mechanic-wise or just for yourself as a gm it's like neither and or or both i guess yeah. uh, but just like what are your goals yeah. as a as a gm since you've played um, rises up one time yes is there any mechanical adjustments you're going to make specifically sure moving forward well actually that was one thing i meant to touch on and i didn't i did have a session zero with this cast off stream mm-hmm. uh in which we just ran through it had nothing to do with this it was just a uh i used their characters but it was just some random thing and that's when i implemented async okay um so because i was like oh this i didn't like the way that i just didn't like the way rolling die felt it didn't feel very exciting sure uh, or, or satisfying um and i was also worried about the death spiral anyway uh but f- for this next one i think a lot of it is just about going okay 
I understand how that felt. Now I'm going to slow down. It's okay to take some time and uh, you know, spend time here, spend time there, leave, leave a little bit more space for things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's probably one thing. As far as the system goes, I really want to figure out how to get a better feel for target numbers. And also one thing I didn't do is I did not put them in any uh, uh, opposed role scenarios. Mm. And and I really think I like the opposed role better for the most part. Yeah. So I think I should find more opportunities to do that. And in, in Rises, there's also the single opposed role where it's just whoever gets the highest role wins. Mm -hmm. And then there's the combat style where you're getting rid of die. Um, so I, I, and that's actually another option for Rises that that we'd found online rather than um having target numbers at all you just give everything a cliche yeah so like you know if they're trying to uh swing across that canyon from earlier it's not what is their target number it's this is a uh canyon swing three so mm -hmm. like it's that many dice of difficulty for this so you would have the canyon roll against honestly them. i think i kind of like mm. that better i didn't yeah. understand that concept before i played it this round and and I and you saying it now kind of solidifies it more. I don't know. Maybe I will try to approach things in that way this mm -hmm. time because picking a random out of the air abstract target number for me is really difficult. Yeah. I just feel like it hindered not only did it hinder like they they just did everything. Right. Which was okay for that episode, but but for me personally it's not fun <laughs> to to play a game where you just win everything. Right. Yeah. And that's a little tougher for us too because since we are doing it for stream, they do get rerolls uh, mm -hmm. for most of their awards and you know that usually means that they're going to do it to try to succeed every time and right. more often than not they do, but yeah, I I've always said I I I think failure is more fun than success mm -hmm. most of the time. Mm -hmm. But thinking about going back really quick to that acing mechanic that you're mm -hmm. using um uh, were using it for every role then that they mm -hmm. were doing because there weren't many opposed roles mm -hmm. because like thinking about it acing like they, uh, why would a death spiral not happen even if you are fighting somebody else wouldn't it be more likely of a death spiral happening because they're rolling With more acing? dice yeah so well like, it, it's it's more that uh, so, so the idea is if you both have three die that you're rolling for your for your opposed role and then one of you loses a die right then at that point it's very it's very it's it's much harder for you to come back from that. Sure, but what if only the underdog could ace? If you were in lower dice, only you could ace. Um, that, that's my thought of changing that rule. I think that adds a little bit too much of a statistical change to it. Yeah. I think like so basically because then then a that's another thing to, to keep track of in a in a like we're adding another level of crunch to a mm. sure. like game. Sure, and then also it's. Um, I think then it becomes too easy for people to win a, or, or to lose opposed roles at that point. It's like you actually become more potentially powerful once you've started to lose in that well, instance. But, but then if you win after acing, then you're both even and the underdog bonus goes away. You'd only get it if you're lower a die. I just, I think you wouldn't get it all the time. I mean, good, because I wasn't prepared for this graph. But uh, like, maybe we could talk about this when the camera's not, or when the camera's okay, not on. There's but no I, camera. I just there's not. Like, no. All right, everyone, turn off their cameras. Every time, because uh, I, I disagree with that graph. I don't think, a, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a. There's I, nothing wrong with that. I just want to talk about mechanics. I for think a it second. feels unwieldy in a way. Like it's, it, yeah. it's kind of like a thing that you have to remember. Like acing's on now for me. Okay, now it's off because we're even. Oh wait, now it's on for my opponent, but it's off for me. I, I. 
think for me, like, for example, uh, one of my players, uh, Michaela, who's playing uh, Madame Iris Moody, she has herbalism and she wanted to um, see if she could detect anything on a wrapper. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, in that instance, I was like, well, that's going to be, she's, she's looking for poison or, or something that isn't, it was a candy wrapper that isn't candy. Uh, and so I'm like, well, that, that's, that's going to be very difficult for you to do. She has, a, I think, a two in herbalism and I told her, her she had to hit a 20. And she's like, uh, well, how am I going to do that? And I was like, well, that's where acing comes in. And there's some other elements in the system that would also allow you to do it. And she was successful because she aced her die. Sure. Um, and I just, I don't know. Personally, I like that. The, the one thing that, I, that, that to me is a bit difficult is uh, where I'm used to acing a Savage Worlds in which you're generally only rolling two die. So if you're rolling four die, there's a higher chance to Except for damage ace. Rolls. Yes, but that's beside the point. Just saying. Um, so anyway, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can add a d6 with a blue chip. That's true. Okay. I have a question okay. on the topic of, of kind of what we're talking about. Um, why did you choose to run this game and not use Savage Worlds is what I'm wondering. <laughs> because... Like, why does anyone ever do that? That's what I don't understand. Uh, well, because it seemed like too much for me to try to understand. But maybe that was, I mean, honestly, maybe I should have. Maybe it was so no, I, I just I, I don't I, think so. Yeah, I, I think I think you've you've I mean you've set up for yourself a lot of challenges in doing the the thing that you're doing, but I think it's honestly pretty admirable that you've made it so ambitious for your second outing as a as a GM. I guess. Um well, but I I mean <laughs> you're 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 swinging for the fences. You're you're taking a lot oh, of big, big risks. Yeah. But but big risks can can pay off or they can blow up in your face, but either way something dramatic is going to happen. True. You know, no one no one will be able to say that like just it, I don't know, it was fine. You know, it's either going to fail spectacularly or it's going to be great. really great. Yeah. And maybe it'll do a a, a lot a of, bit both. of both. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, I definitely so th- those are a couple of things. I, I just want to get I I want to get better at um recognizing just recognizing in general, recognizing when uh, when the target number needs to be higher, when someone needs to make a roll, when I need to present an obstacle, when I need to let them, you know, like open up, let them get something. I just that that's I, I do not have any kind of natural sense for that. You're, and it's very it makes me feel like I'm wandering around blind. You were basically talking about honing your GM instincts, essentially, mm-hmm. like like your you're not just approaching the game and like letting it wash over you sort of like you do as a player. Like you have to think about, you have to approach every situation critically Mm -hmm. and adjudicate it, which you're not used to doing. So it is literally like you made the, um, the analogy earlier of like me talking about those things is like trying to teach you how to speak a foreign language. That is kind of an apt analogy. I mean, you are thinking about, something you understand in a completely different way. Yeah, I've been comparing it to teaching yoga actually a lot, which has been interesting an interest, interesting parallel to me because when I started teaching yoga, I was like, I had my book and I was like, okay, I do this pose and then that pose and I'm going to say it in this way and I, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't do that pose before I do this one and this is how I tell the class and I'm like going back to my notes and I've written down every pose in the order and when blah, 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 blah in my time frame of an hour or 75 minutes. 
but now I don't do that. Now I show up, I know which poses go when, I know how to teach them. I can walk in somewhere and go, okay, what do you want to focus on today? Great. And I can do a whole class that way and it's fine. And I have a very strong sense of my time yeah. of, of like, okay, I need to start getting to this point now so that we can end properly. That's to me is the difference. Like I'm at the beginning of when I was teaching yoga here with GMing and I have no intuitive sense. I'm blind. It's just such a, it's it such a frustrating feeling. And I very much feel like it's going to take a whole lot longer than three episodes, which is upsetting to me because I think it will be fine. I'm going to come out, you know, fine. The episodes will go great. But in my head, I'll be like, oh, it could have just, it could have been a little bit more, you know, it just, it just takes time. Well, there's always next time. That's true. This is going to be your last one. Next time. And, and if, uh, if any of our listeners have any questions for Megan about oh, yeah. how, about what the experience was like or anything related to her running her session, or you just have any comments about your thoughts on it, if you gave it a watch, because uh, we're definitely going to put the link in the show notes. Mm -hmm. You can tweet uh, at her specifically, mm -hmm. uh, or, or just tweet at exp pointers pod and ask ha Megan a question. Yeah, and hashtag Mysterium RPGs is where we're collecting all Mysterium related things. So uh, yeah, it's a good spot. But anyway, it, it was a good experience. I do feel good about it. But you know, the perfectionist in me is like, I should have done this thing and blah 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 blah. Welcome to GMing. But I know. I think everyone. <laughs> I think everyone had a good time. And really, at the end of the day, that's, that's what matters. Important. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm glad for that. So uh, what say we transition to the, the question, question of, of the so so so. Uh, all right, today's question of the Sode comes from the D&D Next subreddit. Uh, someone asked, uh, wait, that's not their name, hold on, their name is, oh, Limitless Adventures, that's a cool mm. name. Ooh. Limitless Adventures asked, I think, that's do... a, I think I know them on Twitter. Anyway. Oh, well, <laughs> strange. Uh, they asked, do you prefer a book in hand when you play, a PDF on a device for quick searchability, or do you prefer the more interactive virtual tabletop experience? So... Yeah. PDF book or virtual tabletop experience? Yeah, so of, of the three of us, Garab, I think you're the only one that's had any experience using virtual tabletop programs. Like Roll20? Is that what that... Roll20 or, or Fantasy, Fantasy Grounds. Grounds. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, so I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, whoops, I don't want to do that. Uh, virtual tabletop, I've, I used Fantasy Grounds for an entire uh, campaign uh, of Lost Minds of Fandelver, which is a starter set of D&D, and it's great. It's amazing having the entire... Uh, map everything's in front of you like you and it's searchable and it's easily accessible you can pull up other stuff from the book very easily everything is just built for efficiency and it's great um at the same time sometimes it did get a little overly complicated but that was partly because i wasn't familiar enough with fantasy grounds yet sure but there's a lot of amazing cool things you can do there was an entire thing you can download that is just tables all sorts of tables to roll on that are in the back of the, the monster manual, or sorry, in the DM's guide. There's a bunch of different tables for like, what kind of book can you find? What kind of spell can you find? And they just have them so you can just click a button or roll for you and build something for you to, to give to the players. It'll make an item, you can drag it to their character sheet, and they have it. That's cool. The All of those platforms have always seemed super intimidating to me, but it yeah. seems like once you learn them and master them, mm -hmm. it becomes uh, really easy to run much more complicated things on the fly. Absolutely, yeah. You just, After a while, like after an hour or two of just playing, you just forget you're doing it on a computer because it, it just becomes mm -hmm. so seamless of an experience. You're just laughing and having friends with friends who are just half a country away. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great. The thing that I think has always kind of kept me... Oh, like away from those sort of things is it always felt like it skewed more towards a video game style um 
play mm -hmm. because like you have the maps and like you can move your mini like around on the map mm -hmm. um and that kind of I, I I think uh, is it Fantasy Grounds that has like you can do like Fog of War and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, which is really cool. But it it kind of puts me more in the mind of like an isometric, like top down Baldur's Gate style RPG. Sure, which is sort of one step removed from the experience that like I am looking for at the tabletop. Mm -hmm. So that that yeah. seems like sort of like a. Uh, like, if you can't get your gaming group together as a last resort, you can use a virtual uh, platform. Like, it would not be my first choice. Mm -hmm. Like, because yeah. I know some people that are like, I don't want to play at the table anymore. I want to use platforms sure. like Roll20 or, yeah, yeah. or Fantasy Grounds. Mm -hmm. I, uh, yeah, I have zero experience with that kind of stuff. I barely know anything about that. But I do like that, that that's an option. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, some of the games that we used to play and people live across the country and it would be nice to be like, oh, well, I could still play with that person. Right. Which is kind of cool. I, I really do like that that's an option. But as far as uh, having a, like a book or something over digital or physical, I kind of, kind of like both to have, to have both. But if I had to pick, I like physical. It's just so much easier to take it. It's tactile. You can open it. You can flip through it and find things. Whereas I've just, I found, I find this in cooking too. It's so hard to go, okay, hold on, let me find this thing in the cookbook. In, in, in a, a, a virtual cookbook. I find that very difficult. I definitely get that. I think for me, PDFs have such a, like so many strong points. Mm -hmm. They are super portable. Um, yes. like, you know, just, and I can say this as someone who has carted around many heavy RPG books in my sure. time. Yeah. It's so much easier to have 30 of them loaded onto a tablet or mm -hmm. your phone than it is to try and carry 30, 400 page hardcover books with you. Um, it the price point is, is yeah, definitely a selling point for me because most of the time PDFs are a much more affordable, uh, option. Um, it is kind of difficult at the table uh, now I tried running. Now this was years ago. Um, a a game using just a Kindle. Like I was just using a Kindle, and I had the adventure on there. I was like, I'm gonna try running it like this. And I started running into uh, it was taking the Kindle too long to load each page. Sure. But this was an older model Kindle. Like yeah, with yeah. newer tablets and stuff like that, that becomes less and less of an issue. Mm -hmm. um, so I think as things speed up in in that way, it'll become more and more convenient to do it. I see what you're saying with having like the ability to flip through things, Megan. Yeah. And and yeah, I still do very much enjoy a book, but I feel like there's kind of like a neatness and speed and efficiency to having like the electronic version of the of the book, like. I have for wild cards. I have four books, my notebook, uh, my computer, and index cards behind my screen. And I am a super fidgety person. So when I have like a book on my lap and like I shift positions, I knock the book onto the floor <laughs> and then two of my books fall off the table and the bookmarks fall out of them that yeah. I had used to bookmark the different pages. And then I lose my page in my notebook and I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. Um, so I can see the appeal of having everything sort of like digital and in a more mm. like organized space. I haven't quite made that transition yet, but I'm ready to. Yeah. I'm ready to do it. I'm going to go PDF. I, I'm going to vote PDF. That, 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 that's sort of what I'm saying is I kind of like having the ability to bring like the physical book that I need today at the table so I can search through it, but then also have the option to have it all on the yeah. computer, which is actually something uh, like, for example, for wild cards, I have made printouts of all of our edges and things mm -hmm. for everyone in the yeah. cast 
And I did that because we have the PDF version and I can just copy and paste it. I just yeah. have to find it. And it's pretty easy to find when you just, you know, go, when you're just using the computer, you can just search that particular word. Mm -hmm. So I do like that. But at the table, I find it super difficult to try and look through my phone or even the computer and find yeah. what I need. That's really the two differences for me. For, for the tabletop, for me, uh, I have pretty much transitioned to just having the laptop in front of me sure. and just using that for pretty much everything because D&D Beyond has made that pretty easy. I mean, they put everything online into website form. So it's not even a PDF. It's a yeah. super easily searchable website. Yeah, that's and really you can cool. also just have your, your character sheets for, for your party there and it's all just put in very well together. You also had a pretty intense Evernote uh, yes. setup that you showed me one time and I was like, that's that's legit. Yeah. Like, you're, you're a very organized uh, GM yeah. like, compared to my like just pages sticking out of pages kind of um, approach. I found this awesome template that this guy made. I, I think the website that he has is the Digital DM. If you Google the Digital DM, you'll find it. But he basically made an Evernote, or sorry, uh, OneNote was actually what it was. Oh, one it was OneNote. Uh, a template that you can download and it has pretty much everything that's in the SRD for D&D 5e in a really organized and it looks like it's part of that package like it looks like it was made for D&D uh, 5th edition uh, and you can just add stuff to it you can add all the other monsters if you want to which I went and started doing uh, which D&D Beyond kind of made it obsolete but it was nice having it all in one place mm -hmm. but having it and a laptop in front of me basically I just have the laptop and then something to write on uh, which is usually my notebook and then any minis or anything but pretty much i search for anything on a laptop i write notes but i do love having the book for when i want to read the module like if i want to sit on the couch and read it i'd rather do it on a book than instead of doing it on my laptop yeah. it's convenient to have it on my phone or or my laptop when i'm out on the go right. but usually i want to read it out of the very nice books that they make for D. &D. Mm. so what i would condense down from everything we've said is that obviously this is a very subjective thing <laughs> yeah but i would recommend if you're used to one way or the other trying out some of the other ways like giving them sure. a legit try and seeing if you can't like maybe find like oh i do like this aspect of it like for a long time i was like i never want to do pdf for rule books mm -hmm. uh and now i'm kind of like i kind of think i might want to switch to just yeah. pdf the efficiency is hard man it's hard to break mm -hmm. away from so give it a shot you know to reach reach outside your your limits explore yeah there's a whole universe of things out there. Wow. Yeah, stars and planets. And yeah, dust. Like There's a lot of dust. Yeah, There's we're getting asteroids. Getting real out there, guys. Yeah, You're wow, right. it's far out here in the universe. Yeah, all right. Mm. Uh, well, that was the question of the show. That was yeah. it. Yeah, good show. And then we did. We also yeah. did the the rest of the episode too. So I guess that means <laughs> we're done. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Look at all this dust. Wow. Uh, you guys ready for the end of this? I think yeah, so. You ready? So. We're yeah. gonna do it on three. Okay. okay. Three. Let's go. You tricked us. You tricked us. This podcast has been a saving throw production. You can connect with us on Twitter at exp pointers pod. And you can follow each of the hosts on Twitter at their respective handles. Jordan is at Jordan Callerman. Megan is at Megan Caves. And Garav is at Double GXG. You can also watch us streaming RPGs and more at the Saving Throw Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash savingthrowshow. If you want to listen to new episodes of this podcast early, consider becoming a Saving Throw Patreon backer. Patrons at the $10 level and up can listen to new episodes a week early. You can also help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you found it to help get the word out. Thanks for listening, guys.